So how are you all doing this morning? That didn't sound very enthusiastic. But... So, you know, the first person I met this morning says to me, oh, is it you again? And I've been trying to replay that conversation, and I wasn't sure if he said, is it you again? That'd be good, right? Or did he say, is it you again? Or is it you again? Um, anyway, I don't know which of those it was, but it's, it's good to be here and to be with you. When I was 13 years old at seventh grade at Brethren High School, I don't remember the chapel speaker. I don't remember anything about the occasion except that morning in chapel was when I made my decision that I was going to be a pastor. Up until that point in my life, my heart's ambition was to be a forest ranger and live in Yosemite 24-7, 365. That was my deepest passion. But since the age of 13, I set my sight on the, the goal of being a pastor. In fact, my wife will tell you, this is all apocryphal, but what she'll tell you is that when we met the very first time, I introduced myself and said, Hi, my name's Roy. I'm going to be a pastor. So, um, anyway. And so this morning, you're on the, the brink of a great future, getting ready to make a decision to call a new pastor. And I have the opportunity to preach a message that every pastor wishes someone would preach before he showed up, right? How do you take care of your pastor? What's, what should a congregation's relationship be with their pastor? What I want to call this morning the care and feeding of your pastor. Uh, part of the problem is you don't really know what you're getting when you get a pastor. They're kind of a weird breed. Um, I've been around pastors all my life, and I'm one of them. And uh, they're just, they're different. Um, I heard the story some time ago of the pastor and his wife that went to visit one of the families in the church, and the seven-year-old daughter opened the door, and she looked up, and she turned around and said, it's God and his mother. That's not quite, um, you know, where you, where you want to come from. But there, there was a study done some time ago. This was a, a very detailed, important study that was attempting to describe the perfect pastor. I don't know what would be on... You got anything on the top of your list? What would be something you're looking for in the perfect pastor? Everybody wants the perfect pastor, right? I'm glad no one said right. <laughs> Because I don't think the perfect pastor exists. I don't know. So this is the description of this survey. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 15 minutes. He condemns sin but never upsets anyone. He works from 8 in the morning until 12 midnight and is also the janitor. He makes $60 a week, wears good clothes, buys good books, drives a nice car, and gives about $50 a week to the poor. He is 28 years old and has been preaching for 30 years. He is wonderfully gentle and, of course, handsome. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with the senior citizens. The perfect pastor smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls every day on church family shut-ins and the hospitalized. He spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched, and he's always in the office when you call and then there's this caveat at the end of this survey. If your pastor does not measure up, 
Simply send this letter to six other churches that are tired of their pastor, then bundle up your pastor and send it to the church at the top of the list. In one year, you'll receive 1,643 pastors, and one of them should be perfect. Warning. Keep this letter going. One church broke the chain and got their old pastor back. So I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives us a couple of admonitions that speak to this, um, this issue of how do, we, how do we love a pastor? How do we care for a pastor? Um, what is our responsibility as a church family? Uh, regarding our pastor. And so it's important when you come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to realize that there's how many chapters before this? Four. Very good. Got some math grads in here, I can tell. And so it's always important when you drop into a portion of Scripture to kind of back away a second and remind yourself of the context of what Paul is addressing. And so in 1 Thessalonians, he is writing to one of the most positive, productive, exciting churches that we read about in the New Testament. And he is reminding them over and over again of what they already know. In fact, if you were to read the five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, and circle that word know every time it appears, it just keeps showing up over and over and over again. And so on the one hand, Paul is saying to them, I want to remind you of what you already know. And then several times he drops in this phrase, excel Still more. What does that suggest to you? His expectation for them is what? You're doing great, but keep going. You can do better. Excel still more. And I love that phrase, excel still more. And so that's been his theme as he's been writing to them. This is what you know. This is what I taught you. Keep going. Excel still more. And as he comes to chapter 5, he's talking about the future. He's talking about the coming day of the Lord. He's just talked about the the Lord's return at the end of chapter 3. The Lord will descend with a shout and the voice of the archangel and all that good stuff. And he comes down and he's talking about the day of the Lord. The Lord's going to return like a thief in the night, he says in verse 4. He says, don't let us sleep in verse 6. Let us be awake. Let us be alert. Um, God's not destined us for wrath, but are obtaining salvation in verse 9. Are you all tracking here? And he comes in verse 11 and he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. And then he says this, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Now, I always, and I told you this last time I spoke, I always appreciate looking at a few of the other translations just to kind of get their flavor for what the passage says. And so the NIV translation says this. We're going to look at this, I think. There's the one I just read, New American Standard. Any other New American Standard fans here? I'm two of us, three or four. Okay, anyway. Uh, that's the translation I just read. Any NIV people? You got your NIV? A few of you? The NIV says it this way, and I've tried to highlight in bold so you can kind of see the, kind of the key words. The NIV says, now brothers, 
respect those. Appreciate NASB. Now he says, respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now, the living translation, the paraphrase, the living translation says this. It says, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Uh, They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them what? Great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. And I really kind of like the way the message expresses it. Look at this. The message says, Now, friends, we ask you to honor those leaders who work so hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. What's this next line say? Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. And so in the text that I read in the New American Standard, he says, we request of you, which is interesting because... Later, he's going to say, we urge you, in verse 14 as he continues on. And the word, he says, we request you, it's the, it's the word that would be used if someone were to come to you and ask you for a personal favor. As opposed to a word that is coming out of an authority base. I'm the Apostle Paul, this is what I want you to do, get in line, do it. Here he's saying, I, I want to ask you to do something for me. As a favor for and what do you want him to do? Honor, appreciate, take care of. And so, I want you to notice this morning, as you look at the the text that I just read, he suggests to us these things. We are to realize a pastor's worth. A pastor has worth. He has value. Why? Because of his labor. You notice the word labor in the text, if you have your Bible open? He says they they labor to the point of exhaustion is the point of that word to labor to the point of exhaustion. And he's suggesting to us that a pastor has worth or value because of his labor. He also suggests he has value because of his leadership. He stands before the text says they are. He is over you. The idea is to stand before he's in a position of leadership. He's speaking out of leadership. He's there has worth because of his labor, because of his leadership, and because of what he teaches. I needed an L word. So what's an L word for the teaching? Lessons. There you go. You got the simple outline. And so he's saying a pastor has worth, a pastor has value because of what he does, his labor, because of his position of leadership, and because of what he teaches. He gives you instruction, admonition, warning. And it's interesting, in the New American Standard Translation, it says to appreciate him. And what's fascinating to me is the word that he uses here for appreciate is translated over and over again in 1 Thessalonians and throughout the New Testament with our English word to know, K-N-O-W. The word that he's been emphasizing over again, you know, you know, you know. And now he's saying, I want you to know your pastor. And it's interesting, all the translations talk about appreciating and honoring and so on. But the real idea is to know him. Get to know your pastor. One of the things that fascinates me 
And one of the benefits that we have in a, in a church of this size is that you have the privilege, hopefully, of getting to know your pastor personally. You know, we read all the time about these big mega churches and they got these multi-million dollar facilities. They got several thousand people. Do you know how many of those people know their pastor? Several years ago, I think it was God leading me. I went around to a bunch of the mortuaries and introduced myself and made myself available to provide funeral services for families that don't have a pastor. And I still do that today. I think by the end of the month here, this next week, I have two funerals for families that don't go to church, have no pastor, no one to officiate a funeral service. It's an incredible opportunity to stand in front of people and open the scripture. I could not begin to tell you the number of times where I've gotten a call from a mortuary inviting me if I'm available to provide funeral services for a family. I've made contact with the family, and in my conversation with them, I discover they go to a church. They go to a large church. They go to a church with several pastors. And yet, they let the mortuary choose someone to officiate mom, grandma's funeral service. Does that make any sense to anybody in this room? makes no sense at all. I remember sitting with a, a family, and they attended a large church down in Orange County. You would all know the name if I told you. And they said to me, we've never met the pastor. I met with another family locally right in my neighborhood. They attended a church I used to pastor. I found out they attended that church. Their daughter was killed in a car accident on the freeway. Would that be a time to call your pastor? Someone say yes. You know, their daughter was killed in a car accident on the freeway. And they have the mortuary choose who's going to officiate that service. And when I met with the family and I sat in their living room, I found out what church they went to. And I said, you know, how, how is it that, you know, you've asked me to do this service. I don't understand. Well, we've only been attending the church for four or five years. We've never met Pastor Randy. Does that make any sense to you? And what Paul is saying to the people in Thessalonica is get to know your pastor. Get to know your leaders. I'd say that would be true of the elders as well. Get to know them. Get to know them. Paul goes on in this text in verse 13, and he says, And that you esteem them very highly in love, because why? The work that they do. And so he says to them, first of all, that what they're supposed to do is to realize the pastor's worth, his labor, his leadership, his lessons, but also respect his work, what he does. And in my text, it says in verse 13, Esteem them, regard them, think of them very highly in love. How high is very highly? Pretty high. 
Is anyone familiar with a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 that says, He is able. Who's the He? God. He is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above, beyond all that we ask or think. That's the word that's used here. Exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond. And Paul says, as I understand this, that our responsibility toward the pastor is to, to realize his value, his worth, and to respect the work that he does very highly. And then there's those two words, in love. You know, what Paul is suggesting to me that there's supposed to be kind of a love relationship between the pastor and the congregation, the shepherd and the sheep. You know, shepherds are supposed to know their sheep, right? Paul flips it and says the sheep should know the shepherd. That's why I put the picture of the sheep up there. The sheep are supposed to know the shepherd. And so, as I find myself thinking about these ideas of pastor's worth and his work, um, I have some practical suggestions for us. And um, my prayer has been, Lord, as I share these 11 ideas, kind of remove from people's minds and their remembrance the stuff that's Roy and help them to kind of grab onto maybe something that's really what God wants you to hear this morning. Value a pastor's worth in his work. How do you do that? So I've got 11 what I call simple suggestions, but they, they may not all be that simple. I don't know. Um, I think, let me say this before I give you my list. I think most of us would be honest enough to admit that we oftentimes struggle with gratitude. We struggle to be thankful. Would you agree with that? We have this day once a year called Thanksgiving. And the whole point of Thanksgiving is what? Giving thanks. And it's one day out of the year. And we would all say, and I've heard it said many times on Thanksgiving Day, well, we ought to be thankful every day. Well, in the church we have this thing called Pastor Appreciation Sunday that happens in October, I think, right? And uh, there's value to that. That's a good thing. But... You know, pastor appreciation, if I'm understand what Paul is saying, pastor appreciation ought to take place, someone say it, every day. And so, I've got these 11 ideas. My, my first idea is this. Listen to your pastor for personal needs. When you hear him in the, in the pulpit, when you hear him in personal conversation, um, what is he expressing that expresses his heart, his ambitions, what he dreams about, what he hopes for? Uh, maybe simple stuff. Um, <laughs> I remember one Sunday coming out of church up in Alta Loma, getting in my car and getting ready to start the engine. And there was this plastic bag on the windshield, on top of my windshield wipers. And I thought, oh, boy, what happened now? You know, I get out of the car and I open this bag and I go... Jolly Rancher Fire Stick Candies? Are you kidding me? Where did, who found it? Where did they find these? I can't find them anywhere. They don't sell them anymore. Anybody like Jolly Rancher Fire Stick Candy? Hot Cinnamon? It's so awesome. 
And I open this bag up. Who in the... Who, and how did they know I like... Oh. I remember mentioning this as a sermon illustration a couple of weeks ago. Um, listen. Pay attention. It's not all about the Jolly Rancher candies. There, there's other stuff that um, goes on. Um, You'll find clues to how to pray for your pastor if you pay attention, if you're looking for them. Again, where's his heart? What's his ambition? You know, what, what is his dream for, for this church? What's his, what are his hopes for this congregation? Because odds are it's a little greater than where we are today. In his heart, he would love to say with the Apostle Paul, excel still more. Listen for personal needs. Uh, a second thing is understand the tensions that he lives with. Um, having people that understand some of the challenges and some of the struggles. You know, the hardest thing for me personally about ministry is I very seldom, almost never, <laughs> have a sense of I've accomplished something. Something's completed. Something's done. Um, I hate doing yard work. When I grew up, I was always big for my age. I was the biggest kid in my class till seventh grade. And so my dad stopped spanking me when I was pretty young. And so what did he use for discipline? Yard work. I hate yard work. Pulling weeds, mowing the lawn. But you know what? When you go out and spend an hour mowing the lawn and edging the lawn and you get in your car and you go somewhere and you come back and you pull up to your house, guess what you see? Accomplishment, achievement. Wow, that looks pretty good. I did it pretty good. That's nice. And so seldom in ministry do, do I have that sense that I've accomplished, I've achieved. By the way, men are wired to do what? Accomplish. Achieve. This is Marriage 101. This wasn't part of my sermon, but since I'm here. Um, a woman's greatest need is different from a guy's greatest need, right? A woman's greatest need, this is Roy's view on life, Roy's view on marriage. A woman's greatest need is security. When a woman feels secure, there's confidence, there's comfort, there's stability. Guys are different. They want to accomplish, they want to achieve. And so for me as a pastor, there was always that sense of, is this really worthwhile what I'm doing? Is there a sense of accomplishment, achievement? That's, that's part of the tension, at least for me personally, that's part of the tension of being a pastor. Um, the third one's pretty obvious. Become an encourager. Become an encourager. You know, most pastors have far more critics than they do encouragers. And what I've discovered is, and I'm guilty of this, is most people who would be on board as encouragers, they have kind of this idea, oh, he hears that stuff all the time. People are encouraging him and expressing appreciation. They, they thank him all the time. I have a newsflash for you. No, they don't. And... A pastor's like everybody else. He needs to be encouraged. Um, <laughs> I could talk on this theme forever. Um, and 
one of my elders when I was at the church in Laverne, a wonderful guy, but he would, he would say this phrase to me so often. Ah, you hit another home run. What does that mean? Or you'll hear the phrase, that was a good sermon. Okay. What helps me is when someone is specific and says, you know, this morning's message made me realize um, I discovered this morning. One of the things I thought about this morning when you were preaching, by the way, sometimes the most important thing that happens during a pastor's sermon is what happens between your ears, not what happens between what he's saying and what you're listening to. Uh, tapes on, but you know, most of the time when I sit in church and I'm listening to someone preach, um, I'm on a rabbit trail with something Ed Trenner said last Sunday, and I'm I'm writing notes to myself. Um, at the Whittier Church a couple months ago, uh, Paul Hoffman spoke, and I wrote an awesome sermon outline out of an idea I got while he was speaking. And I found myself thinking about all these great ideas that just kind of flowed out of something he said. But what happens so often is I hear, that was a good sermon, you know. Good sermon, Pastor. See you next Sunday. What I appreciate is when someone's specific. When I went to Sacramento to pastor in 1980, they had the tradition in their church of what I call the glorification of the worm ceremony. Do you all know what the glorification of the worm ceremony is? That's where the pastor finishes preaching and then he races down to the back door and he greets everybody as they leave. And every single person who goes by says, good sermon, pastor. See you next Sunday. Oh, I let that go on for about six weeks. And I said, I am never going to do the glorification of the worm ceremony again. Um, But the most encouragement to your pastor is, is, is specific or not just simply I'm praying for you, but I'm praying this for you. Um, being, a, being an encourager, that, that's probably not news to you, right? Um, speak highly of him to others. You know, it's a wonderful thing when someone says to me, um, you know, so-and-so told me that you're the best teacher he's ever had in his life. It's one thing when someone says that to you directly. But when someone else reports to you what someone else has said, has a much greater impact. Much greater impact. Speaking highly of your pastor to others. Um, it's easy to criticize. It's easy to um, <laughs> express frustration. Um, yeah, speak highly. One of the things that I do for couples that I marry is I tell them, Here's an opportunity for you to say to your family, parents, grandparents especially, to say to your parents through me something that you've told me about them. Give me a paragraph where you tell me the value of what your parents and or grandparents have put into your life. And let me share that as a part of your wedding ceremony Because it's not coming directly from you. They expect you to express those thoughts. But when I say it, it's different. And that's part of what I'm trying to say. Uh, What time are we supposed to be done? 1230? Um, My fifth idea is be loyal. 
It just seems in today's world, so few people are loyal. So few people are committed. Um, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't it say we're to believe the best? Kind of those some love believes the best, right? And there's a, the loyalty that always believes the best. I sat in my daughter's church two weeks ago. And uh, her pastor had just come back from uh, several months of sabbatical. And what had precipitated the sabbatical was a series of events in his life that led to anxiety attacks and depression. And I, what impressed me in his story as he talked about this, his first Sunday back after being out for six, seven months, was... The elders of the church and the the other pastors in the church came to his home and sat him down and said, you're not going to preach this Sunday. In fact, you're going to take some time off. You need to rest. That's loyalty. Because I know of pastors who have been in a similar place and not nearly as bad who were fired because of that, that kind of circumstances in his life. A, a loyalty that we're going to stick by, we're going to support, you know, no matter what. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so easy to be critical of other people's decisions. Any baseball fans here? Any Dodger fans here? Okay, got a few Dodger fans. So right now, the Dodgers are a mess. They're relief pitchers. I mean, give me a ball and let me pitch, please. Um, and all, all these people are so critical of Dave Roberts, the manager. In fact, if you get the L.A. Times, yesterday's sports page, letters to the editor in the sports section, it was a whole entire four columns of people venting and ranting and raving against Dave, Dave Roberts. Why does he take out the pitcher too soon? Why does he do this? Why does he do that? Um, And one of the things that occurs to me as a frustrated Dodger fan the last two weeks, one of the things that occurs to me is this. Who knows more about the Dodger players, their mental, emotional, and physical well-being and abilities? Who knows more? Me or Dave Roberts? And so it's so easy to be critical of, of decisions other people make. And sometimes if you back away and realize, you know, there may be something I don't know. There may be something I don't understand. And maybe I could find that out if I ask some questions. I, I could talk about the loyalty thing um, all the time. Uh, be responsive to his leadership. Uh, the book of Hebrews in Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. That, that's kind of bold. That's out there, isn't it? Um, pastors make decisions. Elder boards make decisions. We don't always understand them. They don't always make sense. But odds are... They know something I don't know, right? So, I don't know. What, what, what is that? Is that me? I don't know. Someone's listening to another pastor on the, on the radio. <laughs> Boy, talk about being disloyal. Gee whiz. Um, be responsive to his leadership. I remember when I went to Sacramento, 
Um, long story short, I didn't want to go to Sacramento. I had no interest in leaving Long Beach. That was the last thing I wanted to do. They drugged me up there. Um, I made a mistake and said the word yes, finally, after saying no for about six weeks. They drugged me up there. It rained the whole weekend. And long story short, I came home believing God wanted me to go to Sacramento. And their, their message to me was this. And they, they published this throughout the church. I was to come and be their Joshua to lead them into the future. And I still remember to this day a church business meeting where I was presenting ideas for what we could do as the church would go forward. Here's, here's my ambition. Here's my dreams for, for the year ahead of us. And I was getting all of this backwash that was so negative. And it just caught me totally off guard. Totally off guard. And I still remember, remember Chris Tapp? I still remember Chris Tapp standing up, young, young mother with a couple of small boys. Um, I was never sure if she was emotionally and mentally really kind of all together, 100%. She just, she just raised questions in my mind as she stood up, and I thought, oh, no. And Chris Tapp said, this is Roy's paraphrase because I don't remember. It's been too long ago. She said, I don't get this. We asked Roy to come and be our Joshua. How come we won't let him lead us into the future? And she sat down. End of conversation. We moved forward with everything Roy had proposed. You know, follow leadership. Um, I've had the experience of having an elder board where one elder opposed everything I presented for years. And the elder board was committed to moving forward unanimously. So if three people wanted to vote this way and one person voted that way, what do we do? Nothing. Be responsive to leadership. But ask questions. You're not going to understand everything, right? Um, pay them well. You know, Paul talks about the labor is worthy of his hire. I could go on and on. Um, I remember when I was in Sacramento. Um, we struggled financially in Sacramento. Um, the first several years, first few years I was there, we struggled financially. And I hated the month-end elders meeting when we got the financial report. Because one of the dearest, dearest men on the planet, who was our treasurer, he would present the elders report and he would conclude with this line. We were doing really good until we had to make payroll. Well, guess what payroll was? Um... But for many churches, especially churches of, of this size, the size of churches that I've been mainly a part of, um, one of the biggest parts of the budget, biggest part of our budget in Alcaloma was me. By far, the biggest, we paid off the building. Biggest part of the budget was me. Um, and so there's that, that, that tension. Um, one of my pastor friends went months without being paid. Months. Money wasn't there. Thankfully, that's not, that's not the reality all the time. Um, give him permission to say no. The hardest word in the English language for me to say is the word... N- I, can't, I can't say the word no. I try sometimes. You know, it's funny, Tim, when you, when you texted me and asked me to come and speak for September until a new pastor gets here, and it's like, yeah, get to preach for a whole month. I can do my series in Malachi or something, you know. And then I looked at my calendar, and I got this weekend that I'm going to be out of town up in Big Bear with my grandsons. And my first thought was, 
I don't need to go to Big Bear. I don't need to take the grandsons up there. Because I want to say yes. Instead, I had to tell Tim on the 16th of September, no. Um, Give your pastor permission to say no. Um, One of my regrets in my years in Altaloma is one of the elders pestered me. (laughs) That's the word I'll use. Pestered me for weeks to lead a midweek Bible study. And I kept saying to, to Carlos, there's other guys in the church that can do that. I don't need... You're the pastor. You need to do... There's other guys that could do this. You know, you could do this. You know, this guy could... I don't need to do this. No. And finally I gave in. And my, my, my thought process was, well, I'll, I'll give in, I'll get it started, and I'll kind of set them up to pass it to somebody else. Because that's what pastors do. They equip other people for the work of ministries. They don't have to do it all themselves, right? Pastors don't need to do it all themselves, Right? So that didn't work out very well. I led that Bible study for like 12 years. Um, Give him permission to say no. Um, Here's another one. Give him time off and make him use it. We had a couple come to our church from one of our Grace Brethren churches up in Washington. And... uh, Steve told me stories about the elders getting together and they'd go down to the church on the pastor's day off and kidnap him because he wasn't supposed to be at the church. He was supposed to be taking a day off. And they would literally go down to the church and kidnap him, take him out to lunch, go do something, go fishing, drag him somewhere. This is your day off. You're not supposed to be here. Uh, Some pastors, I'm guilty, are like that. Um, People would complain when I would take time off. And I think my wife would agree. I don't know that I've ever taken two weeks. They would complain. But what they don't understand is when I go away to Yosemite for three days, I come back energized. I've just been to the best place on the planet. I come back energized when I go away. I remember when I went to the, uh, the Laverne Church, One of the elders was the father of the previous pastor. And uh, his position was that, and he told the elders, when Roy goes to national conference for a week, it's not a vacation. When he comes back from a week at national conference, someone else needs to preach that Sunday because he's been busy that whole week. He, He got it because his son had been the previous pastor. That was one of the best gifts he ever gave to me. Give time off. Oh, you know, this is just killing me, and I'm sorry, but I'll never forget my son. David might have been seven or eight. And he said to me one day, Dad, how come we're the only family that's here every Sunday and never gets a weekend away? And I would tell you, if I were to talk with a church and I was going to become their pastor, of course, it wouldn't matter now because my kids are grown and gone. But if I could go back and do it over again, knowing what I know now, what I would ask for right up front was one weekend a quarter. I just want one weekend a quarter where I can take my kids. I can go to Disneyland on Sunday. I can go up to Big Bear for the weekend. I, I can go 
One weekend a quarter. Just me and my wife and my two kids were gone. Make him take time off. Make him do it. Okay. Do something in his place, something he can't do, or something he could do, but he doesn't need to do. Um, One of my friends, he used to go mow Dave Hawking's lawn every Saturday. Saved Dave from doing it and saved him the cost of a gardener. One of the men in the church of Alpha Loma would come and help me from time to time with, with projects around the house. Not often enough because Roy is embarrassed to admit he's the least mechanical person on the planet. I can't fix, repair anything. Um, but if there's someone who loves doing that kind of stuff, you know, tell, talk to the pastor's wife. Don't talk to you know, Are there any projects around the house that you just really wish pastor had time to do that I could come on a Saturday afternoon for a couple hours? Oh, she'll give you a list. My wife would give you a huge list. I was talking with two guys a couple of weeks ago about air filters. You know, air conditioners have air filters, right, Don? Oh, gee. And they were talking about changing the air filter every six months. And I said, really? That often? And they said, how often do you change it? And I said, well, I've been in my house five years. Where is my air filter? Well, go home. You'll find it. I went home. I still have no idea where it is. Um... Stuff like that. Um, Here's the last one. Say amen once in a while. Say amen once in a while. You know, one one of the most exciting things I've ever done is preach in a black church. There's nothing like preaching in a black church. Amen. Amen. Go on. Go on. It's 10 after 12. Go on. Go on. I love it. Um. So there's 11 ideas for what they're worth. Roy's thing. Um, Like I said, my prayer has been, is there something there that speaks to you? One or two things. Don't don't try to do all 11 yourself. But maybe there's just one or two things that God's Spirit would say to you. I could do that. I can pray this way instead of maybe the way I've prayed before. I can be an encourager this way. Anyway, whatever. A pastor's wife by the name of Lucille Lavender uh, wrote a book, They Cry Too. (laughs) Oh, it's a depressing book for us pastors. Um, She says this. I want to finish with this. Pastors are people too, I think. Pastors are made very special by their maker. He issues them their special call. They come in various shapes and sizes um, like anyone else. But according to most people, they have a special look. I don't know what it is, but I think this is because often people exude such surprise. You don't look like a pastor. I love hearing that, by the way. Um, they have outstanding talents in every conceivable field of endeavor, imaginable administration, writing, public speaking, diplomacy, psychology, economics, medicine, good bedside manners, building maintenance, teaching, counseling, comforting, conciliating, coordinating, creating. It goes on and on and on. Pastors have anatomical characteristics that others don't have. Uh, they're, they're built not to wear out as easily as normal creatures, I wish. They are more resistant to sleep and relaxation so they can work a 16-hour day, seven days a week. And if they're wakened in the middle of the night by the telephone, they, they can't get back to sleep. They work on uh, Sunday sermon. <laughs> yeah. There's something unusual about their flesh, too. Their skin is extra thick and tough so they can be roasted for dinner with a maximum of discomfort. And this helps them with, withstand possessive particular peeved people. This is a pastor's wife. 
Oh, under this thick skin is a special cushion of insulation that keeps them immune to feelings other people have, like never getting angry, despondent, disgusted, or discouraged. Oh, I love it. It also includes them. It also insulates them against needing love, acceptance, praise, encouragement, and raises in salary. Pastors are also all-knowing, all-wise, all-comforting, all-controlled, all-put-together, and always there. Do you know any ministers, any pastors like that? I don't know, and I ought to. I live with one. So I have a cross pen. Anybody use cross pens? You can go down today to Office Depot, and you can buy a cross pen for $59.99. 60 bucks. Or you can go down to Staples and buy a box of 60 Bic pens for four bucks. One costs $60, the other one costs $6 or 6.6 cents. What's the difference? Well, there's lots of differences, but my point this morning is how do you treat the cross pen? as opposed to how you treat your six-cent Bic pen. When I lose my six-cent Bic pen, I go back to the box and pull out another one. When I lose this one, I'm tearing the house apart trying to find it. Why? Because this one I give value and worth to. This one I don't. Love your pastor like a Bic pen. Or like a cross. Whoa! Like a cross pen, not a Bic pen. You got the point. I'm sorry. Lord, we've gone over time and it's my fault. Um, but I pray that you would use uh, these thoughts, uh, press them in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And uh, pray too for this meeting that's going to follow. Give wisdom, give grace, give guidance, uh, give joy in the midst of the decisions that are being made, the choices that are being made. And I pray that you would propel this church forward in, a, in an exciting and mighty way as the gospel of Jesus Christ is advanced in this city and beyond. That's our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.